to Royals Review Radio. I'm Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review, and uh, we've been away for a little bit. For that, I apologize. I got to enjoy a nice little vacation with some time off, but I'm back now, and I'm ready to talk some baseball. And, of course, joining me are some of the best writers, some of the best Royals writers in the business. Uh, joining me tonight is Sean Newkirk. Sean, did you enjoy your trade deadline week? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it it happened. It did. Uh, I don't know. Enjoys maybe not the word. I'm not sure if it can be enjoyed, but it can be experienced, and I experienced it at least. I enjoy it just just because of the news, even if my team yeah. doesn't do something. Oh, I yeah. just like the flurry yeah. of news we get. The deadline uh, was cool. The, yeah, the last hour was great. Yeah, it's exciting. Also joining us tonight is Jeremy Grico, all better known as Hokias on our site. Jeremy, how are you doing tonight? Oh, you know, pretty good. All right. Well, we have, like I said, we've been off for a while, so we haven't had a chance to talk about the trade deadline. Uh, the Royals did make a couple moves before the deadline. Uh, last time, I think we talked in the podcast, we discussed the Homer Bailey trade to Oakland and the Martin Maldonado trade to the Chicago Cubs. Uh, but a few days before the deadline, the Royals did make another deal with Oakland, sending left-handed reliever Jake Diekman in exchange for double-A outfielder Dyron Blanco and 20-year-old right-handed pitcher Ishmael Aquino. Uh, Blanco is a 26-year-old outfielder. He's a little bit older, but he has kind of a unique circumstance in that he came over from Cuba. Uh, he was hitting 276 with a 342 on base percentage, a 468 slug with seven home runs and 27 steals in AA at the time of the trade. Nakino is a Dominican-born right-hander who had pitched just a handful of innings in the Arizona Summer League, kind of a, a lottery ticket of a prospect. So, Sean... You know, Dick Diekman, left-handed reliever, wasn't having like a sensational year, but but was throwing pretty hard, was missing bats. What's kind of your assessment of the deal now that you've kind of had some time to digest what happened at the trade deadline? Uh, how did the Royals make out in this deal? Uh, I mean, it was it was what you would get with Jake Diekman. I mean, you know, I don't think anybody was expecting the world, but I do think – I thought it was okay. I mean, you know that the um, – the package they got back kind of basically fits almost exactly what they were looking for. Uh, you know, they got a fast outfielder uh, who, who, you know, can play defense and run the bases and was voted the best defensive outfielder in the Texas league. I think it was Texas league. Um, and then kind of a, a nice fireballish uh, pitcher. So I don't know. I mean, it was fine. I, like I said, I don't think we were expecting much. Um, I don't. Without knowing the other offers out there, I don't know. I I would give it a C. I guess I don't know if you can really win these kind of trades or you know get A's on them if it's unless you're like oh my god you're getting you know Victor Robles or something for him. So no, I I think it was a C. Cromulent might be the word that we would use. Yeah, it seems to be a, a popular use a popular word we use to describe a lot of the trades. And you know, Jake Diekman, I mean, he's not like one of the top closers or top relievers in baseball or anything. On the other hand, he is a left-hander who throws in the upper 90s. Uh, I think his his FIP was definitely better than his 4.75 ERA when he got traded. Um, he was striking out 13 hitters per nine. And there were, you know, a lot of reports of teams being interested. The Dodgers, the Nationals, I think the Cubs were, were part of the team. The Braves, I think, were some of the teams interested in him. Uh, but, you know, I, I still I don't know if you can expect a lot for a guy like Diekman. I think I, I wrote a little bit before he was traded – uh, about what he was traded for last year at about this time. And his numbers are pretty similar to what he did last year. And last year he was dealt for uh, uh, two guys. One was a, a 24-year-old pitcher in double-A, so kind of an older guy 
who had some good numbers, and then kind of a lottery ticket, 19-year-old, uh, I think, outfielder last year. So that's kind of what they got here this year. I mean, that's what the Royals got this year. They got an older guy who was putting up some pretty good numbers in AA, but you got to kind of have to discount because of his age. And then kind of a lottery ticket who has some good raw stuff, but you don't really know what he can do. And so that seems to be about the going price. I don't know if the Royals had much better offers out there. Um, but, but Jeremy, it seems like the move does kind of indicate a doubling down on speed by the organization. Uh, Blanco is known for being a 70-grade runner. Uh, Kevin Merrill, who they got back for Homer Bailey, was also a speedy runner. Um, is What's your kind of impression on, I guess, doubling down on the speed? Is it kind of just something to fit in with their, their major league team, or is it them zigging where other teams zag? I I honestly don't know. Uh, it's I I've, I've been trying to figure out what the thought process could be, because the other thing that the, these fast guys have in common is that they're not particularly good hitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that's my understanding of the the fast prospects they've acquired. Um, and the Royals already did this experiment at the major league level this year where they said, we're just going to get the fastest guys we can get. We're going to get Billy Hamilton. We're going to get Terrence Gore. We're going to get Chris Owings is pretty fast. And we've already got Mondesi and Merrifield. And we're just going to be the fastest team in baseball. And that's we're going to exploit uh, the that no one else wants speed and, and make that happen. And And the problem was that only one and a half of those guys could hit. So the speed doesn't do anything, and um, and honestly, I I did an article earlier this year where they were not only were they not getting on base very often, but when they were getting on base, they were running recklessly to the point that they were making far more outs than you would have wanted them to make on the base paths. Um, so I I kind of thought that the experiment with the fast guys who can't hit was done. But it, it seems that the Royals have decided to, to try and push some more of that in the minor leagues. And, and I don't I, – I honestly, I don't know what to make of that. Other We're just than, getting started. Just getting started, baby. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> and, and, you know, you mentioned you know, a lot of the speedy guys aren't very good hitters. I mean, certainly we've seen that with Billy Hamilton uh, and, and, I guess, Terrence Gore as well. Blanco, at least, was putting up pretty solid numbers in double-A. Now, double-A, the Texas League is kind of a hitter's league. But, Sean, you know, how do you factor in his age? He's 26, which is a lot older than a lot of the guys in the Texas League. What's kind of his uh, – what do you kind of see in his future as far as, uh, you know, is he going to be a major league piece? Is he going to kind of, you know, tap, tap out at AAA? Is that kind of a ceiling right now? I mean, um, I watched him uh, – I watched him uh, – oh, my God. I can't even talk right now. Um, I watched him – in double a obviously where he's at with texas or with northwest arkansas in the texas league uh just the other night and i mean he made some really good plays um i mean he's he's quick as as advertised um and he's hit actually okay uh you know in his gosh seven games or whatever he's played um but i mean it is a 26 year old you know i wouldn't say beating up on like teenagers and college guys but you know it's he's obviously way 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 too old for the texas league um, and of course, he's got some experience in Cuba, um, which you know might be equivalent to Double A to begin with. So I don't know. I mean, it's interesting the fact that yeah, he's incredibly quick, uh, and you know he's got some innate power there. But I don't know. It's impossible because it's not like when it was like Jose Abreu who came over, or even Yohan uh, Moncada who came over after some Cuban experience, uh, where it's like okay, you know this guy was clearly elite hitter in Cuba. 
Um, you know, he was still relatively young. I think Mankata came over at whatever, 19, and Abreu was a little older. Um, but, uh, I mean, there's something to like where he's got the defense and the speed to at least be some sort of a fourth outfielder. But it's just tough to buy into any hitting stats or anything like that, given you know, given his age. And as far as Ishmael Aquino, I mean, I know he's like a long way from the big leagues. Do we know much about him, like his velocity or anything like that? Or like, is there anything you could tell us at all about him? No, I, I had, I, I had, I, I knew uh, Blanco because I saw, uh, I, I've seen him play uh, at the, in the, not seen personally, but watched him because he's played against uh, the Royals teams, uh, but. I no, I, I had absolutely nothing on Aquino other than uh, he's really really young. It has gotten out of rookie ball and had her and just walk numbers. Um, I ended up just kind of reading more about him and I mean had a good fastball, but I think that's really about it. So uh, I don't know. It's another one of those where it's like it, it's a Jake Deak. It's a player you acquired for Jake Deak, but I think that says enough. Yeah, it's 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 not likely that he ends up becoming something, but if he does, I mean, I guess that'll be a testament to see how well the the Royals minor leagues uh, can develop him uh, and they, they have a kind of a spotty track record of that so <laughs> uh, yeah we'll have to see but uh, you know it came down when it came down to the July 31st trade deadline uh, you know that the the hour approached and the Royals didn't make any more moves that was it the the Deakman trade well you know happened a couple days before so the Royals kind of stood pat on the actual July 31st deadline I don't think uh, anyone is too surprised they didn't move uh, Whit Merrifield because the asking price was reportedly so, so high. I think it was a little bit of a surprise maybe they didn't move Ian Kennedy, though. Uh, Kennedy's enjoying a nice season as a reliever, uh, and it always seems like contenders are looking for bullpen pieces at the deadline. Certainly we saw a lot of relievers get traded on July 31st. And, Sean, you were pretty critical about the Royals standing pat at the deadline. What mm-hmm. do you kind of think they should have done, and where was, was that like a missed opportunity for them? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it perfectly in your one tweet about, um, you know, three months ago, you couldn't even get literally, or I think it was last trade deadline, they were trying to give Ian Kennedy away, nobody wanted him. And then, you know, it turns out he finally salvages some value. I mean, his contract is still underwater, but he salvages enough that he looks better and enough that you could realistically pay down something that isn't like 100% to get something back, and yet they do nothing with it. Um so, yeah, I mean, not that I – I would have traded, you know, both Merrifield and um, Kennedy. But, you know, the Merrifield one, okay, you can at least make an argument. And I think I said it was like 10%. The next three months is only 10% of his control. So it's not like, you know, they, they lose a bunch. But uh, Kennedy, you know, for the next three months, that represents whatever it is, whatever, like 35% or whatever of his control uh, or 33% because um, he's going to have a, a year and a half left. Uh, so I don't know. Um, I, I, that is the frustrating part where they could have actually probably got something back for Kennedy if they would have paid down a little bit of the deal. Uh, but, you know, they obviously didn't. And there was rumors saying that um, there was some interest in him. But, yeah, I mean, they just wanted – the Royals weren't willing to eat any money. Um, and that's what it comes down to, um, just that unwillingness to – to basically buy prospects, which is you know kind of de facto what it is. Um, so I don't know. That's that's what was really frustrating to see that, and especially it kind of goes with that, that idea that they're going to try and compete here in the next year or two, or, or they think that they might. Um, because if you're going to trade, if you want, if you're going to trade Kennedy, let's say this winter or even next July. 
is his value going to be that much more increased that you to offset any risk of him not being good? I mean, it's just it's not as if um, Kennedy could have gotten better or anything like that necessarily. So I don't know if you're going to trade him, why not trade him when he has the most control um, available? So that's what was kind of frustrating. Yeah, and what was interesting too is you know we talked about you know the Royals' reluctance. You know, there's a report that the Royals were reluctant to eat some money to move him, but yet the Braves took on the entire Mark Melanson tra- uh, contract, and he was making, uh, I think he's got like $20 million owed you know, yeah. to him over the rest of this year. A little and bit less year. than Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. so com- pretty comparable to what Kennedy is getting. And Melanson, look, he's a he's got a much longer track record of being a closer than Kennedy. Kennedy's basically had four good months. Melanson has been pretty solid the last six, seven seasons, but Melanson's been a lot more hurt. Uh, he's missed parts of the last, uh, major parts of the last two seasons, has a track record of injury. So I was really surprised they were willing to take that on. And I wondered, and I think you pointed out in a tweet that Kennedy was better this year than any other reliever they got traded. So you would think if the Royals were at least willing to eat a decent amount of money, they probably could have gotten um, a decent prospect in return. And and, then Melanson was traded for, you know, two okayish prospects. Uh, There was Tristan, or one one okayish prospect in Tristan Beck, and then a major league reliever in Dan Winkler, who... You know, that's yeah. not a super great return, but that's better than getting nothing for Ian Kennedy. Yeah. And, and uh, Beck, Beck was a first was a first round name um, mm-hmm. back at Stanford, but had the back injury that kept him out. But he was a guy that, I mean, I remember in that draft, I think it was, was it 2018 or 2017? I think it was 2018, um, yeah. I remember that draft thinking like, oh, hey, he would be a really good like third or fourth round pick to try rebound on. So, I mean, that would have been great, uh, effectively a third round pick for Kennedy. I mean, I, I, I don't know. But yeah. yeah, I mean the momentum trade shows that there there was an active market at least for guys with contracts, the expensive contracts. And and afterward, after the uh, the trade deadline, Jeremy, uh, the team, I mean, Ned Yost said, you know, they weren't looking to move McKennedy necessarily. He said, well, he's providing mentorship to the younger pitchers. Uh, I don't know. Do you buy that? Is it was it just their reluctance to eat money on a deal or? You know, do they just not find a deal that there that really fit their needs? I mean, what's what, what are the Royals doing holding on to Ian Kennedy through the deadline? My question about Ian Kennedy is the same question I had about Lucas Duda. How many mentors do you need? <laughs> yeah, it's not like Ian Kennedy is the only older pitcher in in the bullpen in in on the roster. They've got. They've got plenty of older guys. They got uh, Danny Duffy. They had Brian Flynn. Um, you know, they had some veterans that could provide some of that 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 leadership, that veteran presence. So that that just always boggles my mind because it's not like they're running a roster of a bunch of raw twenty four year olds out there. They've got plenty of old guys around. Um, as far as I, I honestly think that the Royals. I think the Royals saw Ian Kennedy as closing games. And, and here's where I do kind of buy the, the veteran presence thing a little bit is that he can give some people, uh, the starters, a little bit of confidence that, you know, if the game, if they can get the, the game with the lead to the ninth inning, then Ian Kennedy will probably close it out. And if you trade Ian Kennedy, you have no guarantees in the ninth inning with the way the bullpen has worked out so far this year. So that makes a little bit of sense to me to just give give those guys just a little bit of sense of, okay, you know, uh, your efforts are not always going to be wasted because the bullpen is not always going to blow it. But um, 
that that's it. And I I think that that was ex- the the Royals value that a lot. Whether they should, uh, I'm less convinced. But they value. I think they value that a lot. And I think that's why. Um, I think that's a big part of the reason why they were unwilling to take on, uh, uh, to to pay off a lot of Ian Kennedy's salary. I think, um, I think that they probably would have traded him if they'd gotten a, a good offer and hadn't had to pay any. But they they thought, well, if we don't, if we're gonna have to pay the money anyways, then we'd rather him close the games and and give our starters that safety net. Yeah, and I think sometimes fans, I think, tend to think of trades of like. You, you offer a player and the other team um, is interested and then you just like select, you know, to the players you want and, and that's how a deal happens. And there were a couple articles at the deadline that kind of, I think, uh, were pretty interesting in how trades go down. One was about the Tigers front office and it was pretty critical of the front office by the Detroit Free Press and it was talking about how they were just making unreasonable, you know, asks for some of their players like, just asking for like top prospects for Shane Green, who's a nice reliever, but it really hadn't done anything before this year. Uh, and other, it was just kind of turning other teams off. And I think sometimes we forget that the you know trades are like, you know, they're negotiations. If you've ever bought a house or haggled for a car, you know that like you have two sides that both want something, but they're only willing to do it at a certain price. Uh, and the other story, so the other story I was reading was about the Pirates and the Dodgers. Uh, the Pirates were dangling closer Felipe Vasquez out there. The Dodgers were very much interested, but they couldn't come to a a, a price that they were both willing to settle on. The Dodgers or the Phil, uh, Pirates really wanted Gavin Lux, uh, the top Dodgers prospect. The Dodgers were not willing to deal with him to deal to deal him, and so there was kind of a a standoff, and ultimately Vasquez wasn't traded. And I think, uh, you know, I think I think what happens with these trade deals, trade negotiations, or like any other negotiation, like you have a price and you say, okay, I think Ian Kennedy is worth this. And if we don't have to, and they don't have to deal Ian Kennedy, they have another de- a year of control on them. And they probably feel like if we don't get that, or at least very close to that, or, you know, they have their bottom number, like we, we have to get like a 50 future value prospect for them or whatever. Uh, if they don't get that, then they may, they're willing to walk away. You know, it's just like when you buy a house, you say, well, you know, we'll we'll sell at this price, but we're not going to go below this price, and we can walk away if, and then just keep our house if we don't get that. So, you know, I think I think a lot of that happens with with some of these GMs. I think some GMs are more comfortable or more flexible than others. Obviously, Jerry Depoto, it, it, I think, is much more aggressive and wants to get deals done. I think a guy like Dayton Moore, I think, is more comfortable with his internal, you know, what he has in house, and I think he's much less. Reluct, or he was much more reluctant to deal guys unless he gets like his absolute, you know, what what he wants. Yeah, um, can I? Yeah, Jerry, good. Uh, two things. Jerry Depoto is the guy who puts out those signs that says, "I will buy your house, right. cat." You know, <laughs> he's the guy who just goes around buying up houses, just trying to make a deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of GMs still operate um, like. There's been some backlash for Huntington. Uh, I know some Pirates fans that are saying, you know, they're not fans and they think he needs to go. But there's been some – there are some GMs, I think, that still operate under the old model where relievers should get a gigantic call at the deadline. I mean, um, back in 2016, July 2016, uh, Chapman went to the Cubs for Glaber Torres, Adam Warren, Billy McKinney, and another guy. Um for for three months of Chapman, you know, and then reportedly the Royals turned down uh, 
for Wade Davis, they said, no, you need to beat the Chapman deal. And Chapman, or not, uh, and then Torres was like a top, I don't know, five, top 10 prospect in baseball. But like those trades just don't happen as much anymore. I mean, Brad Hand, the, um, who did the, the Indians got Hand and Adam Simber for Francisco uh, Mejia. Francisco Mejia, yeah. who, was, who was a good prospect, but he hadn't hit that well anywhere. And he was kind of a defensive first catcher. I mean, he, you know, he was rated highly, but those guys weren't three months of a deal. I mean, they have hand for, I think they have Simber for like several more years. Cause he was still an ARP. I forget what Brad hands contract was, but I mean, they had two really, really good relievers for a very long time. And they got Mejia whose stock had kind of fallen a bit. Um, cause he had already played in the majors and he, you know, wasn't hitting that well. You know, I, I think some GM still operate under the idea that come July, teams are still going to cough up top tier prospects for relievers, which just doesn't happen to be the case anymore. Um, And prospects in general, teams have been much more hesitant to move prospects because, I mean, why would the Dodgers trade Gavin Lux for Whit Merrifield when they could just call up Gavin Lux, Mm -hmm. um, who might be as good as Merrifield with the way he's hitting? So I don't know. I I, I think some teams and more seems to be one of the GMs that still kind of thinks maybe that classical model of – you know, relievers being traded for for a lot, which isn't necessarily the case anymore. And it's kind of the problem too, when you have all these teams rebuilding or tanking, whatever you want to call it, that creates a market where there's it's a buyer's market, right? Like you have too many sellers trying to trade off their pieces, and only a few teams really trying to contend that are willing to give up prospects uh, for for major league players. And some of those teams, like the Cubs, they don't have the farm system to really go out and and and, and make a move. So that creates a really distorted market where you're just, yeah, you're just not going to get the same kind of package you were able to get a couple years ago for a reliever. And thing, yeah, the market keeps shifting and it's always changing. And I'm not saying, you know, they should have traded Ian Kennedy for whatever, but, um, but they probably do have to recognize, yeah, the, 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 the haul you're getting for a reliever. And, you know, the, the fact that Ian Kennedy has, you know, 20 saves doesn't, that doesn't mean anything like it used to, you know, like p- teams aren't paying for proven closers, really. They're paying for, really solid relievers which whether they pitch in the seventh eighth or ninth and kennedy has been really good uh but but uh yeah i don't know you know i'd be interested in hearing what kind of offers they were getting for him if if you know if they were getting any uh solid offers at all but uh and i thought you made a good point earlier when you you pointed out that the royals probably thought they could trade ian kennedy next year if they want to because he's gonna have less money owed and i mean uh, Ian Kennedy has been, you said, like you pointed out, he's been in the bullpen for about four months. So he'll probably have been in the bullpen for, you know, a little over a year, um, a year and a half at that point next year. So there'll be a, a better track record if he's as good next year as he is this year. Um, and then you won't have to pay him for as long if you if you do want to get his money. And hopefully the Royals, I suspect Dayton Moore feels he'll have a better bullpen next year so that if he does trade Ian Kennedy, he'll have someone else to close even though they'll probably still lose a lot of games next year. Plus, that's like another six months he can mentor, you know, the young relievers out there. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. Oh, that's yeah. That's worth, you know, it's weight in gold. Uh, so, yeah. So, well, Ian Kennedy's still on the roster, but the Royals did get quite a bit younger this month, it seems like. I mean, they did get – they did move Maldonado and Bailey, like I said, and Jake Diekman. Uh, Lucas Duda, who we mentioned earlier, he was finally finally released. Uh, and the team did call up young guys like Bubba Starling and Richard Lovelady. So – we are starting to see a little bit of a younger team. Uh, do you guys think that the Royals are going to be aggressive or at least active this offseason? It seems like they're kind of going with the younger guys 
they have now. But I don't know if these younger guys, like I don't know if Chesler Cuthbert and Bubba Starling are necessarily your starters in 2020. Uh, so I guess I I would not plan on talking about this, but I just want to really pick your thoughts real quick on what your I guess impression. You know, and it's really early with the off season still like three months away, but um, if you had a guess, like how what, what direction are the Royals going in at this point? Uh, I don't know, Sean. Yeah. If you want, if you have thoughts, yeah, I think twenty twenty you still see Starling, um, unless he just is so miserable over the next uh, two months um, that they just they they realize, and they've never been that quick to cut bait on guys, especially their own kind of homegrown guys. Um, but no, I mean, I think next year, I guess depends on what they do with Alex Gordon. I'm not really sure if they bring him back or not, but um, if they don't, then I mean, yeah, I think you're looking at. Uh, Dozier and right, Starling and center, maybe Brett Phillips and center, and then um, one of them in left, Starling or Phillips in left. So, um, yeah, I mean, no, I think these guys are going to be played for a while. Um, there's nobody behind them. I mean, you know, Khalil Lee's the only legit prospect that's could play the outfield, it, legit in the sense that, you know, is someone you could think of like, okay, this could be a future, you know, everyday player for us, and he's doing okay in double A. Um, so he he'll need at least another year in the minor. So no, I mean I, I, I think I, I think that this is this is the team. Cuthbert, I don't know what they're gonna do with. I think they probably still like Kelvin Gutierrez. Um, so maybe they do like Dozier and Wright, and then Gutierrez at third and Cuthbert at first, and then O'Hearn DHing, and then but then you still got to do something with Solaire. So uh, I don't know. It just depends. But no, I, I think that Starling and Cuthbert. I, Starling for sure, I think, is here to stay for at least another year. Cuthbert, I don't know what the heck they do with him. Yeah, and I wonder too if they will kind of get away from the stopgap free agents. I mean, it seems like you'd be better off just, and I'm yeah. not even that high on like Cuthbert or Starling, but it seems like you'd be better off giving them a chance yeah. rather than dipping into that you know bargain basement free agent bin. Yeah. We were going to have Matthew Lamar on. He couldn't be on tonight, but um, we were going to discuss his article about how the Royals have they took $20 million last year and just kind of wasted it on free agents. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think it was like four of the seven or five of the seven players they signed last winter. They ended up releasing. I mean, <laughs> it was uh, not a very good off season. And so like, rather than do that, you might as well give the guys internally, uh, you know, a shot. I don't know, Jeremy, I know. Have you, have you thought much about the 2020 starting lineup yet? I mean, is there, do you think it's just going to be kind of more I, of the same that we've seen? Uh, yeah, I think, I think you're both right. I think they, I think maybe after two years of signing a bunch of veteran free agents that don't do anything, they're hopefully looking to play some guys um, that, that they've just already got that are, um, you know, cheap. And, and I mean, cheap is, is a good word for, for, uh, for David glass. So yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I and I can even see room for um, Chesler Cuthbert to kind of play a platoon role between first plate, thir- first plate, first base, third base, and um, and then Dozier can can rotate around into the outfield and DH, and O'Hearn can rotate around, and you can just kind of rotate the three of them around all over the place because you got all that positional flexibility. Um, and I I would be really surprised if Bubba Starling wasn't on the opening day roster next year, even if he plays poorly this year, just because he is a homegrown guy, and and he's he's at the end of end of his rope. There's there's just nothing else to do with him anymore other than to let him play and see if it it works. 
Yeah, and like Sean said, there's no one really pushing him. I mean, you could, you know, maybe have some split time with Brett Phillips or something. But until Khalil Lee is ready for big league action, mm-hmm. which probably won't be till the middle of next year, I think you might as well give him a shot. Is let him start I, the season and see what you have. I do think yeah. Alex Gordon will be back though. Really, mm-hmm. I have a, I have a very strong feeling. I I feel like it goes back to the whole Dayton Moore is extremely loyal to his players thing yeah. that we've seen time and time again, and I think. And, and I mean, Jeffrey Flanagan's had that piece pinned yeah. to his Twitter all season, where where Alex says he wants to come back. And if if Alex wants to come back, I think I think Dayton Moore will bring him back. the The only thing is, you know, will there be a, an argument about money? But I really, I really kind of doubt it. I suspect, based on what little we know of Gordon, so I could be completely off base. But I suspect he feels bad for how well he's played, or how poorly he's played to to be more specific uh since he signed that big contract so i think he's not going to make a lot of monetary demands at all um and whatever date Moore offers him he'll probably take just to keep playing for the royals and whether he'll get to be a starter or whether um i mean i really at this point i'm kind of frustrated that billy hamilton's still on this roster <laughs> and we don't have brett phillips up here so, you know, in an ideal world, if they're going to bring back Gordon, he's your backup outfielder for your veteran presence. And, and you're going to let uh, Brett Phillips and Bubba Starling and Hunter Dozier get most of the time out there. Yeah, I think you make, that's a pretty good case. I, th- I can see that happening where he comes back and maybe it's a limited role or they work out an understanding of like, yeah, we'll play you on a semi-regular basis. But, you know, we want to get some younger uh, a look at younger guys, too, although there's not really that many younger guys to get a look at. So uh, he may get a chance to and play you know. Lot. I mean, you know, whatever deal they make with him, Ned Yost will just start him every day anyway. Yeah, I know, right? He's my left hey, fielder. Look, um, I'm looking at the free agents for next year, uh, for this this winter. Um, they're gonna; these are the guys that are available, which means they're probably gonna end up being a royal. One of these guys is gonna be a royal. You've got Milky Cabrera, you've got Lonnie Chisenhall, you've got Matt Kemp, huh? Uh, <laughs> and let's see. I'm trying to go us fits their kind of mold. Ooh, John Jay could come back. Austin Jackson, um, Leonis Martin sounds like a a guy. Oh, Chris Owens, free agent, could <laughs> could could be it again. Um, Which, by the way, then, did you guys see that he had like a home run in five straight games yeah. for AAA Pawtucket? Oh, yeah. I mean, if there's more any ev- any evidence you needed that the AAA ball is juiced, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and maybe Carlos Gomez. But no, well, Carlos Gomez is a is a bad clubhouse guy, so they won't bring him in. Yeah, and some of those guys aren't very good defenders, so I don't know. I I kind of see them going the younger route, except for maybe you know bringing Gordon back. And I think I speculated on Twitter. I saw him getting like the Adam Jones deal, like one year, five million dollars, maybe six for a guy like Gordon because he's a good guy, um, and he's coming back to his his team. But we'll see. Uh, I'd like to see them bring back Milky Cabrera just because I've never seen a team acquire the same player three times. Three times. Right? I wonder how many players have uh, I think Jamie Quirk think, had three st- separate stints with the Royals but he pretty much played for everyone. How'd they uh, get Cabrera the first time? I forget. Was, uh, for, uh, they, signed? They, they signed him as a free agent and then, okay. they, then they brought him back in a trade in 2016. The AJ Puckett trade in yeah. 17, right? 17? Yeah, 17. He, no, no. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think it was 16. Never mind. So, well, let's bring it back to this year. On the field, the Royals this year have pretty much been in free fall lately. They won nine of the first 12 after the All-Star break, but since then they have dropped 10 of their last 12, including a seven-game losing streak. 
However, one bright spot has been Jorge Soler, who hit his 30th and 31st home run on Tuesday. And Jeremy, you wrote a little bit about Jorge Soler last week. How do you kind of see him fitting in with this team going forward? And is he finally blossoming into the player we can count on in the middle of this lineup? Uh, uh, how how I see him is, is uh, pretty controversial, I guess. Um, up to up to the uh, the the gosh the All Star break. Sorry, words are hard tonight. Um, he was he was playing okay. He had a lot of home runs. He didn't have a lot of anything else. And I think um, Sean has pointed out that home runs are less valuable now than they have been at any time in Major League history because there's just so many of them because the the ball has been juiced. Um, but he's he's really started to uh, produce. Not just home runs, he's still hitting home runs, which is is a very good sign, but he's also walking again and getting some other kinds of hits since the all-star break. So he's he's he has turned into a guy um that it seems like they can rely on, um, at least for the short term. The problem for Jorge Soler is that he is he is already he's only got two years left on his contract, um, or two years left of team control. Because the contract is kind of wonky, um, and he's got—he's already 27 years old. So you can extend him, and you can have a player going into his 30s that can pretty much only DH, or you can try and trade him, or you can—you can do both, I guess. Uh, if you think you can get away with extending him and then deciding to trade him, um, but then you'd have to find someone who wants to pay a DH into their 30s. And that seems like a questionable proposition to me. Um, I said at one point uh, that he was he was not rosterable, which was a mistake on my part. Uh, so I'll own up to that. I I don't know one hundred percent what I was thinking when I said that. Um, he's not unrosterable, but what he is is I would argue he's not a guy to build a team around. He is um he is a major league average starter. He, he's going to be worth uh, about probably two war this year, maybe a little bit more than that. And so that's the kind of guy that you want to, you want to fill a gap on your roster with, but not a kind of guy that you want to, to build your entire roster around to my way of thinking to want to get, uh, you want to get some really, if you're going to build a roster around some guys, you want to get some really high quality guys, not just some average guys. And um, so a lot of people want to see Soler extended because he's probably going to hit 40 home runs and they just want to keep all this power here. But he doesn't offer enough base running value or fielding value to my way of thinking to justify trying to build a team around him. The, the Finding someone who can hit and not do anything else seems like it should be easy enough that you can just let go and find someone else to do the job. Yeah, they'll have a really interesting decision because, you know, he's on what's kind of a cheap deal for them now because he's only making like some $4 million this year. But like you said, it's a wonky deal. He can opt out of the deal this year, which he almost certainly would, and go into the arbitration system, which, you know, he would make some $6 million probably this year and then like 10 to 12 next year if he continues to hit like he's doing, maybe even more than that. So he's not necessarily going to be a cheap player and the world's off to the side. You know, you know, they have them under club control through 2021. They're probably not going to be competitive in that window. They're looking more like 2022, 2023. You could extend him, but it's not going to be cheap at this point. He's 
now shown a little bit what he can do. And so if they talk extension at this point, you're kind of buying high. And yet he still has kind of the same red flag as he had before. He still strikes out a lot, and he still doesn't have very good defense, and he still gets hurt a lot. I mean, he's been healthy this year, but it's not like the the health thing is necessarily something that just goes away after one year. So, um, yeah, I don't know. They've got an interesting decision. Like you said, he's not really a guy that you build a team around, uh, but he would, you know, if you extend him, he would be one of the higher-paid players on the team, Sean. Like, so what do you think the Royals end up doing with a player like that? I mean, obviously they don't have a lot of guys that can hit with this kind of power. Is it almost something where they need to keep him out of necessity or, or should they punt on him while they can? Um, I don't know what his value is. Cause yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, he's, he has a little, his on base percentage should be maybe a little better than Chris Carter, but I mean, he's just like Chris Carter basically. Um, I, I would not look to extend him. I mean, one thing I noticed uh, the other day, and, uh, and I'm pulling up right now, um, he's running, since the All-Star break, he's running a 36% or something fly ball, home run to fly ball percentage. So every time he hits a fly ball, almost 40% of the time, it's going out of the park, which is just not sustainable. Um, and this year, so last year he had a 17% home run fly ball percentage. This year it's 27%. Yet he's not really hitting anymore. He's hitting four percent more fly balls. Um, he's hitting the barely one percent more hard this year, harder percentage this year. So it's not as if he's hitting the fly balls harder necessarily. So, um, I mean, it's kind of like when Babbitt. Like if someone's if someone's got a really low Babbitt, everybody will mention like, oh, he's due for better luck. But when he's got a four hundred Babbitt, most people don't say, oh, he's he's probably going to you know not keep this up. Um, so. No, I, I don't think that he's anything other than probably, you know, an above average hitter, um, which is equal to basically an average DH. Um, I buy the fact that he could be a top five-ish DH in the league. Uh, but, you know, in a world where we live in with a rotating DH often and we care about uh, guys who can add value in multiple ways, you know, a guy who can only hit basically home runs is his main skill I don't think that's particularly a, a very hard skill to find given the current ball environment. Now, I mean, if he kept us up and the MLB switched baseballs um, to kind of a de-juice ball, okay, that could be a different conversation. But at this point, if a guy's main skill is just home runs, doesn't add any defensive value, doesn't um, – and Solaire has walked, but, you know, doesn't run great OBPs, um, you know, it doesn't run the base as well. Uh, it's just a very one-dimensional hitter. And unfortunately, it's the one dimension that's, you know, kind of ubiquitous in the game. Yeah, I kind of feel like he's just more valuable to the Royals than he would be on the trade market. And so the most likely scenario to me seems like he just plays out his last two years in Kansas City. Maybe they shop him at the deadline in 2021, in July of 2021. Maybe, you know, some somebody gives a A-ball prospect for, you know, for two months of Jorge Soler, if he's still healthy at that point, and then they—that's kind of the end of the Jorge Soler era in Kansas City. I don't, I don't. Is think he a veteran? Are we? Do we consider him a veteran? Does he have veteran presence? I don't he's know. Whit been Merrifield around for was a, six years. Yeah, I know. Whit Merrifield was a young guy until he's in his thirties. <laughs> so, yeah, Soler he's got won't even be thirty. Hundred career plate appearances. Yeah. Well, I don't. I guess that all depends on his mentorship. But, you know. So. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> you, I think. I think you're probably dead on, uh, Max. I don't. He probably doesn't have any trade value, even if he continues hitting like he has through the through the end of the season. People are going to look at him and go, "Well, 
you, all you do is hit home runs, and we've got guys who hit home runs. And also do something else. So he probably doesn't have any trade value. And then, um, and, and I agree, it would. I think it would be a mistake to extend him when he's probably going to start declining as soon as the extension kicks in. Yeah, it seems like he doesn't always... necessarily if, but it means he probably won't even be. Now, this is probably as good as Jorge Soler will ever be. Yeah, I think like the only home run hitter that got traded at the deadline, and arguably a home run hitter, was. Jesus Aguiar, who had 35 home runs last year, but is kind of struggling this year, and he got traded for like uh, Jacob Faria, who's like a swingman, I think, who's you know nothing special, and you know guys like CJ Crone are always available in the offseason for nothing. I mean, guys that hit home runs and don't do anything else just don't have a lot of trade value. So um, yeah, just if you want to buy a Jorge Soler jersey, I guess my advice is that you're probably okay for the next two years. So um, we also got news this week that Danny Duffy, unfortunately. He's heading back to the injured list this time with a hamstring injury. Duffy missed the first month of the season with shoulder soreness and uh, was replacing him in the rotation this week on Thursday is Jorge Lopez. And so don't expect the Royals to use an opener. In fact, Ned Yost explicitly shut down the possibility of using that innovative technique saying, quote, it wouldn't be effective for us. That's why we haven't done it. We're not fools. If we thought it would, been, it would be beneficial for us, we'd do it. Sean, is he right? Uh, you know, the opener has kind of been popularized by the Tampa Bay Rays, but they also have pretty good pitchers. Um, do the Royals just flat out not have the personnel to make something like that work? You know, um, as kind of as sabermetric as I try to, you know, as I may seem and come off and try to really embrace, I'm not convinced the opener. I think the Rays have. I think I. I think the stat does show that they have lowered their their pitchers have done better with opener um, than the traditional starter. But I'm still not convinced the opener really is a good strategy because I think you're just deferring the runs to later um, as opposed to early on. And you know, runs pushed later are worth more than runs early on. But having kind of said that. Um, I actually wrote a piece. I don't remember what it was. Might have been. I, I can't recall. But I actually discovered, or went over this idea, um, discussed this idea of um, should the Royals been earned Cotton. I mean, the whole point is to have a guy who can lock down two ish innings, and I'm not sure Stalmont and Zimmer can do that. So even if they were willing to do it, no, I'm not sure they've got it. Um, Scott Barlow would be a guy that would I would actually think I would consider more. And of course, I say that Scott Barlow has not been very great recently but he's a guy that i would look at more than stamont or zimmer um to try to do an opener of some sort um there's a future where zimmer could be it i don't think there's a future where stamont could ever be it um but there is a future where zimmer could be it if he can actually put together a good performance but um like a love lady or um you know obviously love lady would open you up to platoon issues but like a love lady or barlow would be who i think would make more sense rather than stamont or zimmer necessarily yeah, Barlow, I think, would be interesting. And I think I kind of share your view that the opener as a strategy is perhaps a little overrated. That being said, you know, when you're in a season that's, you know, going nowhere, obviously, and your pitching staff is not really very solid. I mean, it's a pretty fluid rotation out there. I think we've already seen what Jorge Lopez can do as a starter. Probably wouldn't hurt you at this point to at least try the opener and just see how it goes. And I don't know, Jeremy, is this – do you get the impression this is more just Ned maybe not wanting to embrace newer techniques uh, or newer, you know, innovations or, um, or is he right? Does he have a point here that it just wouldn't work with their personnel? It's, it's hard for me to say 
whether it's because they don't have the personnel to pull it off or whether it's because Ned just doesn't want to do it. Um, but I, I don't think they have the personnel to pull it off. <laughs> they have, they have one reliable reliever in Ian Kennedy, and he's not going to be the opener because they want him to be the closer. Um, and, and like Sean was saying, you have to have someone, the whole point of the opener is that you have a, you have a, a an, at least an above average or to take on the beginning of the lineup that first time through. So your starter can, can kind of get started on the, the lower half of the lineup and kind of warm himself up that way. Um, starter, whatever, I, I guess they call him the bulk man. I think they need a better name for that, but, <laughs> um, so and the Royals don't have anyone to do that. They have, uh, uh, let me look at their reliever ERAs right now, um, which, you know, isn't perfect, but it, it'll give me an idea. And they have Ian Kennedy at 3.18. Um, Stallman's at 3.38, but he's also walked twice as many guys as he struck out already. And, and you'd say, well, that's a small sample size, but he's always walked a lot of guys in the minor leagues. So this is not a surprise. Um, and then you got Jake Newberry who can't even stay on the roster and, and then your next best reliever is Glenn Sparkman, who's currently in the rotation. So I don't, I don't see how you've got a reliever to, to really try the opener with. If you do it now, you're not going to really learn anything because you're just going to end up with your opener giving up two or three runs instead of your starter. And you end up with the same end result, or maybe it's even worse somehow. I guess the, the the theme there is get better pitchers, which the Royals definitely need to do. Uh, we'll wrap up here with just some kind of minor league odds and ends that I just wanted to touch upon. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr., he has gotten his professional career off to a start, and it's been a little bit of a slow start. He's hitting just .255 uh, with very little power in 22 games in the Arizona Summer League. Uh, Sean, should we at all be concerned that the, the number one pick from the 2019 draft is, is off to a slow start? You can read my thoughts on this next week when my top 20 midseason prospect list comes out. Um, but to give a bit of a spoiler, no, uh, you shouldn't. Um, yes, you would like him to. So like CJ Abrams, um, who myself and some others um, were kind of a fan of, or Andrew Vaughn. Um, Abrams has done really, really well in the exact same league in the Arizona League. He's been promoted now to whatever it is, I think, low A with the Padres. Um He's done incredibly well. So and so is Andrew Vaughn, who's now in high A. So I mean, you would want yes, you want your guy to have a really good start. But if it's the first, you know, first whatever you call it, first three months after they've been drafted, and it's rookie league, I mean, it's enough. It's enough that yeah, you can just say ah, don't forget about. I mean, mostly forget about it. Um, if there were some vulnerabilities popping up, like I think um, either JJ Bladay, I want to say. Um, is striking out like 35% of the time or something. That's something you're like, okay, that's concerning because, you know, that was an issue with him and now it's continued to be. So let's see what happens there. But uh, with Junior, other than basically zero power, um, he's he's got a, as of now, he's got a 316 slugging percentage. Uh, so that's a little weird because Arizona is a pretty hot environment to be hitting in. Um, and you know, he's, he's got 60 or so raw power. So you would like to see him doing something with that. Um, but that's the only thing you could be like, well, that's interesting. So now I, I don't think there's anything to be concerned yet. 
Um, like I said, you'd like him to get off hot, but I don't know. You you can forgive it for now. But if next August he's in, you know, let's say Lexington and he's hitting this, yeah, there's probably something to be concerned about. And the Arizona Summer League is kind of a weird league, too, in that you've got like yeah. 17-year-old Dominicans, 19-year-old college kids, and mm-hmm. 23-year-old guys rehabbing, you know, from right. injuries. Right, or even older than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. And he's not the only one, like, he's not the only one struggling. I mean, Abrams and, and Vaughn have done well, but first overall pick Adley Rushman's hitting under 200 yeah. uh, right. in, in a ball and, and rookie ball. So uh, yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I think I don't really pay attention until they've had their first, you know, first full pro season. And then we can start uh, evaluating him a little bit more. Uh, another former prospect for the Royals, I guess, Suli Matias outfielder who hit, you know, over 30 home runs last year out for the year with a hand contusion. He was hitting just 148. Uh, in Wilmington this year with four home runs in 57 games, was striking out 44% of the time. Sean, has he completely fallen off your radar as far as prospects? I know you're thinking about prospect lists. Uh, yeah, um, I've, I think he, I think on my list, I think he's 14th, um, something like that. I mean, he wasn't, a, he wasn't a great defender necessarily to begin with, so it was going to be all bat, and you would hope that he would develop like a 40 bat or even like a 45 would be great with his power. But um, no, I mean, he's fallen on a lot of lists. Now he didn't fall on mine because I already had him ranked kind of low. So, um, but yeah, I mean, he's definitely not, he'll be knocked down. I think every single list I've seen, he's been, I've some places had him number one. I know B baseball prospectus had him as like the 66 best prospect in baseball, which I thought was a little rich. Um, so he'll be knocked down. I, Absolutely. And, you know, you, you want to say that his injury caused his struggles, but I'm not necessarily sure an injury causes you to strike out 44% of the time unless that injury is you're missing like an entire leg or something like that. Um, so, no, no, I, I think there's I think if you were if you weren't already concerned because he had high strikeouts in Lexington, you're definitely concerned even more now. In a way, I'm just kind of just glad he can just end the season and put it behind him and maybe start yeah. fresh next year because uh, yeah. that's a rough season. Uh, and, and yeah, he and Prado and Melendez both. I mean, I joked in May about demoting them. Um, I don't think they ever will demote him anyways, but, I mean, they all just need a complete hard reset, it seems like, and I wouldn't have them play in Arizona. I, I don't even know if I necessarily would invite them to spring training. I, I would give them as much time off of baseball as they can get just to completely reset. Definitely don't go have them play in the Arizona Fall League. Don't send them to the DSL. It's like Matias could go to the DSL. Um, just have them take everything. Just have them not worry about baseball for the next six months, you know, once the season ends and go from there. Finally, the uh, MLBPA and MLB unveiled their players' weekend uniforms this week, consisting of all monochromatic, all white, and all black uniforms. Jeremy, I don't know if you've got a chance to see the Royals' all white oh, uniforms yes. with the all white lettering. What do you think of. Uh, you, for me, I'm an all? old guy. Uh, you're much more in tune with the youth. So what do you think? What do you think of the Royals players' weekend uniforms? All they had to do, in order to keep me happy, I'm not I'm not a, a uniform hound by any stretch of the imagination, and I 100% recognize that there is no uniform they could ever design that would meet with uh, a, a a loud majority approval. Whatever they design is going to get a bunch of people saying, boo, this sucks. But all they had to do, if they wanted to make me happy, was make the logo and the numbers and the name 
make all the lettering and the numbers the opposite color. So <laughs> white uniform and then give me some black numbers, black logos, whatever. Because I can't read I can't read the names or the numbers on these uniforms at all. At least not on the white ones. The black ones are a little bit easier for whatever reason. But really, if they wanted to do this, they needed to, to make the numbers and the letters white on the black uniforms and black on the white uniforms. This this whole, like, all white and all black is just impossible to figure out what the heck is going on. And everyone's using nicknames anyway on Players Weekend, so it's already hard enough to figure out who's who sometimes. Especially since Danny Duffy is using Gordo as his nickname and Alex Gordon is using Duffman as his nickname. Oh, I didn't even see that. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I saw Duffman and Gordo, and I just assumed that they went to the correct players. Oh, I didn't, no. I didn't they decided see to switch who was doing what. That's, that's hilarious. But, yeah, I who's who? I Who's on first is going to be – everyone's going to be playing Abbott and Costello all weekend. Uh, did you guys see Ian Kennedy's name is E? Just the letter E? No. He doesn't what? strike me as the most creative nickname comer-upper. <laughs> but what the hell is that even supposed to mean? <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. Is his middle name? No, it's Patrick. So it's not even... Oh, my goodness. I don't even know what that's supposed to be. Maybe, maybe he's Brad an error? I... Well, Ian Brad is short... Is... It's, it's yeah. a short, oh, shortening of his nickname, right? Or shortening of his name, I guess. E for Ian? <laughs> I don't know. The, be- the best one I saw was Hunter Pence was just a shrug emoji, ah! which, which fits him pretty well, I thought. And I heard, um, well, maybe I shouldn't say that on the podcast. Um, but we'll, the we'll one bleep it out in edits. Me- <laughs> huh? We can always bleep it out. Oh, uh, Corey Dickerson couldn't get his nickname approved. <laughs> a shortening of his last name. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the one that confuses me is, is um, uh, Dozier's. Why why is it bulldoze and not bulldozer? I, I don't understand why we don't why he didn't complete the name. That bothers yeah. me a lot. More than it should. Tim Jim is bad. Honest. It says Yeldarb for Brad Keller backwards. And then <laughs> uh Stamon is just Stamon. I mean, I don't know. Whatever. I thought he was supposed to be a sharp kid. I thought he'd come up with something more creative than that. I mean he's got he's got creative hair. Yeah. Where's the creative name? Yeah. They look like they look like if you guys ever played the show, like when you create like a, a uniform on the show, they give you just an all white template to begin with. <laughs> it's like they got stuck on that screen and then they hit submit and it was too late. They couldn't go they back. They forgot to finish the uniforms. Yeah. yeah, they couldn't delete the save. Yeah. So anyway. speaking speaking of the show, did you guys see that uh, Dan Zimborski was playing the show and he yeah. did a he did a create your own player and he got traded to the Royals? No, I didn't see that. Yeah. That was that was pretty funny. It reminded me of the last time I played uh, uh, MLB The Show. Um, it was back, I think it was, I want to say it was 2015. So I made myself a hot second base prospect in the Royals farm system. Because um, I figured I'd unseat Omar Infante and everything would be awesome. And uh, the Royals instead, uh, Digital Dayton Moore chose to trade Alex Gordon to the Houston Astros. And uh, he promoted my avatar to the big leagues, but forced him to shift to left field so that Omar Infante could play every day. <laughs> and then and then in 2016, he finally moved me over back to second base. Very happy. But that was only because Omar Infante took over everyday designated hitter duties when Kendris mm. Morales left. That game does mm. actually sound very realistic now that you describe it yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, you can check out those Players Weekend uniforms August 23rd to the 25th when the Royals are in Cleveland. And yeah, you're not going to be able to read 
any of their names because they're just indecipherable on that white background. So that'll do it for our show tonight. I want to thank Sean Newkirk and Jeremy Grico for being on the show today. Thank you, readers and listeners, for visiting our site and listening to our podcast, and we'll talk to you next time.